And praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Revelation chapter number two as we continue our study through the seven churches. And we will be dealing with the first church today, and that is the church at Ephesus. It's an interesting church uh, when you go through and spend the time uh, to go to the book of Acts. Matter of fact, there's a whole entire letter in the New Testament written to the church at Ephesus by Paul. Uh, it's called the book of Ephesians. And what's interesting is when you read the commentary in Revelation chapter 2 concerning the church at Ephesus, and you go and you read the letter to the church at Ephesus that Paul wrote, when you look at Acts, and look at Acts 19, and then you find some things about the church at Ephesus and some of uh, the beginning days of the church at Ephesus when Paul made his way to Ephesus and uh, God began to do a work there, raise up a church. Come to the book of Ephesians, Paul made an interesting comment about the church at Ephesus. And I'll tell you what, hold your place in Revelation chapter 2. Go back to the book of Ephesians and I want you to notice with me in chapter number 1. Something, a comment that I want you just to hold in the back of your mind as we look at this letter from Jesus Christ to the church at Ephesus in the book of the Revelation. Ephesians chapter number 1, I want you to notice with me verse 15 and verse 16. For this reason I too, Paul says, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. It's interesting. When Paul wrote his letter to the church at Ephesus, he said, you know, not only your faith... Not, not only is it your faith that catches our attention, he said, but also your love for the saints. We come to Revelation chapter 2. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. As we watch this first church as it unfolds, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And we'll continue reading in just a moment. There's something that's interesting as we make our way into this letter that is written to the church at Ephesus. Matter of fact, it's in verse 2. And in verse 2, Jesus writing this letter says, I know. That's an interesting word, know. When you look at that word, it comes from the Greek word oida, and here's what it means. It means complete and full knowledge. You see, one of the things that Jesus had was complete and full knowledge of the church at Ephesus. He knew everything about the church at Ephesus. 
And let me share another thought with you today, just in case it, you might not connect the dots. Just as he knew everything complete and fully about the church at Ephesus, he knows about us today as well. He knows that. Because that's who he is. And, and so if, if he already knows all of that, and he knows us, he knew the church at Ephesus, so what does it mean to us? I mean, what, is it, what does it really mean when we consider that? You see, the Lord of the church knows everything there is to know about the church. He gave himself for the church. He knows everything about the church. Not only the church as a whole, but also us as a local New Testament assembly of believers. He knows. So if he knows, what, what, do, you, what do you think should be important to us? Out of the starting gate, this first church is interesting because one of the things he says about this first church in verse 2 and verse 3 is all of those things that he knows about the church. And one of the things that I want you to, to, to find here, what he's doing, he compliments them in verse 2 and verse 3. Matter of fact, when you look at verse 3, it says, and you have perseverance and you've endured for my name's sake and you, you've, you've not grown weary. I mean, he, he, he commends them for all of that. And then you drop over to verse 6 and he, he, you find another, another word of where, where they're commended. He says, yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we don't know a great deal about them. But apparently it must have been pretty significant for that to be a place not only in this letter, but also in a, another one of the seven letters. So Jesus knows them. What is interesting to me, though, is when you look at verse 2 and verse 3, here's something that you're going to find. He knows their deeds. He knows their deeds. That, that word deeds is all-encompassing of he's getting ready now to split all of that up into individual pieces. And one of them is their toil or their labor. The church at Ephesus was not shy on toil or labor. The church at Ephesus, it was not that they were not busy. The church at Ephesus was not that they weren't doing anything. That is, that is not the issue with the church at Ephesus. Their toil, their labor. Matter of fact, if you'll notice, to the point of sweat and exhaustion. They were, they were so busy in the work. And they were, they, they were, they were just, they were given to, to the ministry and the work of the church at Ephesus. That, that's who they were. That's how they're defined as. And matter of fact, I, you know, I, I wondered, I've asked this question. I talked about this last Sunday morning. As we looked at an introduction, I wonder if Jesus were to write a church or write a letter to the church at Ascension Baptist Church, I wonder what it would contain. I, I wonder what would be in the opening of the letter. Matter of fact, he talks about their perseverance. When you look down at uh, verse 2 and verse 3, he talks about their perseverance twice. And what does he mean by their perseverance? It's, it's their patience in trying circumstances. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes you can get pretty trying. Especially in serving, 
It can get pretty trying in ministry. It can get pretty trying in the culture that we live in today to stay at it and to continue with the practical side of doing what we've been called to do. It can get tough. It can get difficult. And I will tell you today, it's getting more difficult than it's ever been. But it didn't stop the church at Ephesus. What was going on in the days of the church at Ephesus? I will tell you what it was. It was persecution. They understand Rome was... Rome was the, the, the power to be at this time. And I'm going to tell you something. Things were not the best in the world under Roman rule. And so for them, and, and when we consider the magnitude of all of that that the church at Ephesus itself experienced, they stuck with it. In other words, they persevered with patience in, in light of all the difficulty that they found themselves in. And then also we know this. There was a refusal to tolerate evil men. And you see that in verse 2. They just, they, they refused it. They refused evil men. They refused e- uh, false teaching, all of that. They refused every bit of that. That's who they were. Busy. Concentrated on the work. And through all of this, this, this is an amazing thing about Ephesus. And through all of this, they maintained their perseverance and endured for his name's sake, which was the highest motive. Because look at verse 3. And you've persevered and you have perseverance and have endured for what? For my name's sake. Boy, they were busy. Sure were. For the highest motive, for his namesake. Please be careful here. And let me just let me make a comment here. Busyness, busyness does not equate to spiritual health. Busyness does not equate to spiritual health. I mean, when you first read the letter to the church at Ephesus, I mean, under persecution, enduring, persevering, toiling, laboring, busy in the ministry, all of those things, busy at it. But the letter doesn't stop at verse 3. Humanly speaking, and let me say this about the church at, at Ephesus, humanly speaking, Okay, because when you look at the end of verse three, it's interesting. And the and and, and Jesus said, and you've not grown weary. Humanly speaking, they had every reason to grow tired and weary. You know, sometimes when you're busy in the work, sometimes you can get tired. Sometimes you can get weary. Matter of fact, fighting culture sometimes and, and trying to, to, to fight against all the naysayers and all of that, sometimes, I, I'll tell you, it can wear you down. I mean, matter of fact, it can just make you plump weary. To the point we begin to ask ourselves questions like this, is it worth it? Is it worth it to continually stand for the truth of the word of God against a culture today that absolutely could care less? Well, what about those ones that you're ministering to? Man, you pour into them and you pour into them and you pour into them and you keep pouring into them. 
And all of a sudden, they just kind of just, I don't need any of this. They turn around and walk away. Listen to me. It gets weary sometimes. It gets tiring. But the church at Ephesus stayed with it. And although the church maintained their doctrinal orthodoxy and continued to serve, it had turned into a mechanical exercise. And please listen to me. That's exactly what it can turn into if you're not careful. Well, it's just the way it's done. It's the way we do these things. Matter of fact, we check off all of these boxes. You know, I've often wondered what in the world would happen if we came into a church service one time and the Holy Spirit began to move among the people in the church and we took the order of service, we just kind of moved it over to the side, opened the front of the church and just let people come spend time and pray with the Lord. What in the world would it do? It'd probably scare us to death. Probably would. The issue here is not over their doctrinal orthodoxy. That's not the problem. Matter of fact, they're commended for it. Hey, it's great that we know the scripture. It's wonderful that we know it from, hey, it's wonderful that we could stand up and quote all the books of the Bible, that we know all the major doctrines. We could quote all of them, use all of the proper names, the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of eschatology, the doctrine of anthropology, the doctrine of angelology, all of those, be able to quote every bit of that. But please listen to me. If we're not careful, every bit of that can become nothing more than a mechanical exercise in religiosity. It's not what God's desire for us is. Please listen to me. God's a relational God. God desires a relationship. Now, doctrinal purity has its place. I believe that. Decently in order has its place. And that's what God is pleased with. But God help us that we get so hung up on checking the boxes that we miss the very moving of God himself. So what happened in the church at Ephesus? Remember what we read in Ephesians chapter 1? As Paul was praying for the church at Ephesus, he prayed and he lifted up to to the throne of grace in his prayer. The faith and the love at the church at Ephesus. Forty years later, something happened. If we're not careful, as the years go by, if we don't protect it, we could wind up in nothing more than a mechanical exercise in religion. You say, Brother Robert, what are you talking about? Verse 4. He said, but I have this against you. That you've left 
your first love. That you've left your first love. What in the world did he mean by by that statement? Turn with me to Matthew 24 and verse 12. We're reminded of these words found in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus speaking about the last days. Jesus makes some interesting statements here as he's sharing with the disciples when you look at beginning in verse 10. He said, so as you, as you see, as you, as you watch these things occur, he said, verse 10, at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Verse 12, because lawlessness is increased, Most people's love will grow what? Cold. Most people's love will grow cold. You see, these words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and verse 12, the pressures of the evil age that we find ourselves in today would result in the love of many to grow cold. I'll say this to you this morning. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've talked to folks who find themselves there today. Used to be involved in church. Used to attend church. Used to be active in church. Used to be and look forward to the gathering of God's people together on the Lord's day as we call it. But something happened. That desire and love began to wane. And it began to go away. And now all of a sudden that, that, that desire was no longer there. Jesus writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, he said... But I've got something against you. See, please, please listen to me. God's a relational God. God desires a relationship with him. And please, it's not one-sided. And I've shared this before. God shows up every single day. And he has something prepared for you every single day. So don't blame God for a lack of relationship with him because it's not his fault. The church at Ephesus, because you've left your first love. The question here then, is this a failure to love God or a failure to love one another? The question here, that, you know, this, this statement in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 2, is, 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 this a, is it a statement? I mean, is, is it a failure to love God or is it a failure to love each other? Well, turn with me to Mark chapter 12. 
Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 and verse, uh, let's see where we're going to start. <laughs> I want to make sure you get all the context here. Um, let's start in verse 28, okay? Verse 28. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. So, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing. And recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? In other words, what's the greatest commandment? So they asked Jesus what the greatest commandment is. Well, he's going to respond and he's going to answer. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered, the foremost is or the greatest commandment is, to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all of your strength. That's number one out of the starting gate. Is to love him with all of our being. Well, let me ask you a simple question. If you love someone with all of your being, wouldn't it make sense that you would live each day to please him or them? Doesn't it make sense to do that? Those of you who are here and, and, and you're married, you have a spouse. And you love them. Don't you desire to please them in all that you do? Because you love them? Well, I have a simple question. Why would we live any differently in our relationship with the Lord? Huh? Why? We shouldn't. Well, hold on. That's the first one. Here comes the second one. And I want you to see now, we're going to draw Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to draw it together here. Now, notice the second one. What does he say is the second one? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Doctrinal orthodoxy without proper love doesn't give you much. You say, okay, Brother Robert. Well, let's go to 1 John. Matter of fact, the John who is recording for us the book of the Revelation is also going to share with us in his first letter that he wrote. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 9. Let's start in verse 8. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light 
is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. If we're abiding in the light and there's a relationship between us and the light, then guess what? That moves over to one another. That's what John wrote. Now, I want you to understand, I didn't write this, okay? This is the Word of God. This is my opinion. Look at chapter 4 and verse 20. 1 John chapter chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. Now here it comes. If someone says that I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should do what? Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, but I have somewhat, I have something against you because you've left your first love. You see, abandoning one's first love means then from looking at scripture as Jesus has written this letter to the church at Ephesus abandoning one's first love means then that one has strayed from both the love of God and love of fellow believers and please listen to me the two are inseparable So what did Jesus say? You've left your first love. And the two are inseparable. Well, that was all introduction to the three points. Point number one. Church at Ephesus, so what do you do? You know, here's the interesting thing about it. Jesus in his letter, not only not, he, he commends them for all that they were involved in. But then he shares with them what he had against them. And are you ready for this? Here's the, here's the wonderful thing about it. This Jesus is going to tell them now how to correct it. Look at verse 5. He says, the first thing you need to do is remember. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen. You know, sometimes it does good for us to go back and remember. How many of y'all remember when you first got saved? Anybody? Do you remember what it was like? Huh? Boy, you couldn't wait. Man, you were in love with the Lord. Boy, you couldn't wait to read the Bible. You couldn't wait to tell everybody you come in contact with what had happened to you. Matter of fact, your whole life had changed. Matter of fact, there was a peace in your heart that passed all understanding. The relationships now is the vertical relationship 
came to where it needed to be. Horizontal relationships began to come to where they needed to be. Sometimes it does well for us to take a journey and remember back to the way it used to be in our lives. Church at Ephesus, please listen to me. They had become so busy, caught up in the work, that they lost sight of where they should be. He says you need to remember. Go on a journey back. Matter of fact, I, I remember the day I got saved. And I remember, I remember being down front, kneeling down, kneeling down at the altar, and and I, I tell you, I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you any. I, there were people all. I couldn't tell you anything about what was going. Only thing I knew was what was taking place between me and the Lord at that moment. And I never will forget. The next question was, or the next statement was, well, you know. At some point, you need to follow the Lord in baptism. I said, so when are they baptizing? And Clint Andrews said, they're baptizing tonight. I said, sign me up. I'll be there. Got baptized. Couldn't wait till Monday. Couldn't wait till Monday to get back to work. To do what? To let everybody know what had happened. I thought everybody would be excited. Matter of fact, some of them said, have you lost your mind? <laughs> yeah, I did. I lost my worldly mind and gained a heavenly mind. Sometimes it pays to remember. Point number two. Ooh, this is the word we just don't like. To do what? To repent. Repent of what? To acknowledge it and repent. To, to restore that relationship of love back with the one who loved us so. To, to see that relationship brought back to the place it needed to be. Here's what Jesus said. The church, listen, Ephesus, you must remember where you were previously and repent. Do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? Well, I, I do. Son, I knew I was a rotten sinner bound for an eternal hell without Jesus Christ. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner condemned on my way to hell unless something happened. And it did that day. We need to repent. Folks, listen to me. The church needs to get back to the place today that we repent. Busyness does not equal spirituality. Busyness does not equal spiritual maturity. At all. To repent. That's a tough thing for that's a tough thing for folks to do. But it is necessary. 
And then number three. Ooh, this is even tougher. Because when you remember the way things used to be in your life and you repent, then guess what it says? Look at verse 5 of Revelation chapter number 2. He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do what? Do the deeds you did when? At first. And remember the deeds you used to do at first. In other words, to rekindle that flame that used to be there. To rekindle that love that used to burn inside of you. To rekindle what used to be there in this relationship between you and the Lord. Not in doctrinal orthodoxy. In the end of verse 5, or else... I'm coming to you and will we'll remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So let me ask you a question. Was repentance necessary? Yes. Was it important? Yes. Could they live on without it? No. So what about us? True repentance or true remembrance will lead to repentance. And those who truly will, listen, and those who truly repent will do the first deeds. Let me tell you something. It's tough being involved in ministry every day because let me, let me tell you what happens so often. You get so busy in the work that you begin then to collect the most important part. And some say, how in the world can you do that? Because it becomes a mechanical exercise. And it works something like this. Well, I got to get ready for Sunday morning. Got to get ready for Sunday night. Got to get ready for Wednesday night. I got to put something together. Got to get an outline done. Got to get all this stuff done. Got to get all of this done. All this has to be done. So-and-so's got to be called so-and-so. If we're not, listen, if we're not careful, we miss out on relationship and get hung up on mechanics. That's coming from me to you. Finally, we come to the close of the letter in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. That's an interesting phrase right there, to him who overcomes. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Christ promises the overcomers at Ephesus. That they will eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Overcomers. Who's an overcomer? Well, John answers that for us. He answers that question. Flip back to 1 John chapter number 5. John answers that question for us. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 through verse 5. This is who your overcomer is. 
For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Notice what it says, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? Notice what it says. But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's who the overcomer is. And guess what? The one who places their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will. We will spend all of eternity with him. As churches and as individuals, we need to keep our lamps burning with the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That needs to be paramount. That needs to be the utmost. That needs to be the important thing. And in closing this morning, doctrinal orthodoxy and outward service cannot make up for a cold heart. Doctrinal orthodoxy and outward service cannot make up for a cold heart. One last passage of Scripture, Proverbs chapter 4, and I'll I'll close with this one. Proverbs chapter 4. And verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart. Because listen to me, there is competition for your heart. And that competition can make itself appear as the angel of light. And as deceptive as it can be, can pull you away from the main thing.